0: Thank you. Well, hello. Here we are again, delving into the, the murky depths of, <laughs> of classical history in the Bible. Well, um, well they are kind of murky. You never know what's going on with ancient history. But that said, let's pray. That will help. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and kindle in them the fire of your love. Set forth your spirit they shall be created. You shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same Spirit to have right judgment in all things, and evermore to rejoice in his comfort. Through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle, be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do thou, o Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God cast into hell Satan, and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, all right, let's, let's open the big book on the coffee table, the Bible. <laughs> I wonder if people still keep their Bibles on coffee tables. When I was a kid, you might have a. Co- if you had a, we I don't think we even had a coffee table. I uh, never mind. Do people still All right, have coffee this is, tables? I, the voice in my head just said, "People still have coffee tables." Yeah. Where else do you put your feet when you're watching television? All right, moving along here. We are in Second Corinthians, the... Oh, it was live? Oh, good. <laughs> the voice in my head is live. Moving along, Second Corinthians, the 11th chapter, the first verse, again with the brothers and sisters. When you hear them say, brothers and sisters, it's not in the text, that's just... That always amazes me, because to me, oh gosh, I grind this axe all the time, but it's sort Yeah, we need to get an axe sound effect for the axes I grind. This this is... Uh, um. You know, it, it cuts the scripture up into little snippets. And I perhaps I've recommended this before. Richard Latimer's translation of the New Testament is is delightful because it has no verses. Uh, the, 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 the verses uh, um, kind of break up the scriptures. We get little snippets. This letter, and, and to read an entire letter of St. Paul, it doesn't take long. They're not long letters, really, and we cut them up into little snippets and and think that this is sort of a, I don't know, a little treatise, and it's not. It's part of a wider, a larger letter uh, that's written with usually a consistent theme. Well, St. Paul is saying, put up with a little foolishness from me, uh, for I'm jealous of you with the jealousy of God. Isn't that interesting? The jealousy of God. This is something you don't hear preached about much. I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. I mean, that's, I thought jealousy was a sin. Well, for me, it is, not for God. Because you see, God made everything, and he has the right to be jealous. Uh, so uh, this isn't going to be the word of the day, but I, I, I still want to look at the word. Um, uh, because it, this is something that never gets talked about. The jealousy of God. The uh, uh, it's a verb in Greek it's not an adjective I am jealous jealous is an adjective but it's a verb Zelo I I, I jealous I jealous you uh, um, uh, the word itself means uh, um, to be eager to possess I want to possess you Zelo as it means to bubble over uh, to burn with zeal it's 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 a funny word um, in Greek is So it, it's, it's a strong word. Uh, then, then we look at, let, let's look at the old Testament text. I think I can find it right here. Um, okay. No, I can't find it right here. Yes. Um, it, it, it's in, it's in the, uh, uh, in, in, in the, uh, but let, let me, let me look that up here. Oh, dear, I'm going to hear that music again. I, the Lord, your God. And see, I told you, am, okay, a jealous God. Okay, Exodus 25. Uh, there we go. Um, <clears throat> you shall not make for yourself an idol. Now, this is a very specific word. It doesn't forbid. I don't believe it forbids statuary, but it forbids the making of foreign gods. I, the Lord, your God. And then the fifth verse is Exodus 25. I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of fathers and their children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing my devotion to the thousand generations of those who love me. I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. Oh, uh, uh, that's amazing. Um, this is a consistent theme that God owns us. He's, he desires to own us. And St. Paul is, is, is saying that he has that same, that same zeal for us. I'm jealous of you with the jealousy of God, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Um, but I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, you may be corrupted. Someone comes and preaches another Jesus than the one we preach. You receive a different spirit from the one we received. You'll put up with it. Um, very interesting that, that, uh, the same things that are going on in the church today were going on in the church then. Do you ever have deja vu, Mrs. Lancaster? I don't it's think so, so, but I could check with the kitchen again. yes that's a funny line from Groundhog day a great movie but um and actually a pretty moral one um the the now this is this is a kind of interesting verse coming up here um the uh, where, where we read uh, that Saint Paul says you put up with all these different theories, you know, these harebrained theories. Well, of course, I have my harebrained theories too. For I think that I'm not in any way of inferior to these super apostles. I'm untrained in speaking. Remember the story in the Acts of the Apostles where St. Paul went on with a long and boring sermon. A kid fell out of the window and St. Paul had to raise him from the dead. It's in there. Well, uh, what's going on here? He talks about super apostles. And the word the word super here is it's, it's kind of like uber, uber. it's hyper, uh, and it means over, beyond, hyperleon, it means superlative. Uh, what's a good way to, to express it? Well, I suppose superlative. Now remember, St. Paul is not talking about the Twelve. He's talking about the Apostles. I thought the Twelve were the Apostles. I tell you this all the time, that <clears throat> there were... Lots of apostles. The word missionary just means apostle, or apostle just means missionary. Uh, you can look up look up the 72 apostles on Wikipedia. You can find it easily. Um, the 72 apostles, there, there were lots of apostles. There were only 12 of the 12. And at one point, there were only 11 of the 12 uh, when Judas had killed himself. People would say, well, I was delegated by Jesus. Jesus and I were such good friends. At one point, St. Paul says, doesn't matter who you knew in the flesh, that, that just because, oh, yeah, Jesus and I used to go bowling on Friday, that doesn't make you holy, uh, uh, that, that Paul constantly had to defend his, his apostleship, his missionaryship He was never one of the 12. But he was delegated by Jesus in a miraculous way by his experience on the Damascus Road uh, so, and the following experiences. So I think that's important to realize. And he was constantly being challenged. Oh, Paul, he was never with Jesus and he persecuted the church. No, he's saying, I really am a missionary delegated by Christ. Even if I'm untrained in speaking, I'm not so in knowledge. Many of the epistles uh, have this as a theme. That Paul, especially Corinthians, Paul is defending his right to be on mission, delegated by by Christ. Remember, uh, it's not just a missionary; it's a delegated missionary. So, um, <clears throat> when I was with you, I did not burden anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my needs, and I refrained, and I will refrain from burdening you in any way. Paul was studying with Gamaliel and uh, the the it was very important that rabbis had a trade uh paul uh um well the, there was a saying among the rabbis he who fails to teach his son a trade teaches him to be a thief uh, very interesting uh because paul then talks about that he he and that's going to be the word of the day he plundered the churches for your well-being uh, remember he's he's taken up a collection here in this collection was for the poor in the Holy Land, probably because there was a series of famines uh, during the time of the Emperor Claudius, and and things were bad in, back in back in the old country. So he's taken up a collection. You know, and this might have been a little bit of, of well, I don't know what's the word, clouting, you know, Paul wanted to help the Jerusalem church so that the Jerusalem church would help the other churches. One suspects that I always think Paul should be the patron saint of politicians because he was a good politician. You know, that wasn't his primary uh, set of tools. But but I, I love when he, when he said in the Sanhedrin that it's for the resurrection of the dead that I'm on trial. He got the Pharisees and the Sadducees fighting each other, which saved his skin. But I digress again. So, he, he, he talks about, I didn't burden you. In fact, is I plundered other churches. Uh, a, a rabbi uh, was supposed to have a trade. A rabbi was not supposed to be paid, though he was given handsome gifts and stipends and speaking fees and that sort of thing. So practically speaking, you could live off the proceeds of, of the rabbinate. But you had to learn a trade as a rabbi. And Paul, excuse me for a minute. Cough button. Paul apparently became a leather worker, tent maker kind of guy, and uh, actually used his trade because he didn't want to be a burden to anyone. So <laughs> when he came to places, if he was going to be there a while, he got a job. So he worked <laughs> Gander Mountain tent. That was was that live voice in my head. <laughs> That wasn't live. He just suggested he worked for a, a famous tent company. Nah, I think it was just Paul. Paul uh, self-employed. But I, I, well, actually, he worked with Priscilla and Aquila, who shared a trade in Corinth. So I refrain from and will refrain from burdening you anyway. The truth, by the truth of Christ in me, this boast of mine shall not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. Achaia was a province of Greece in which I believe Athens is in the province of Achaia. Why because I do not love you, God knows I do. Beautiful, beautiful. It's, 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 Paul is, is trying to guilt them into being generous, but, but uh, it is just um, what's the word? This just oozes his love for the Corinthian people. And realize Corinth, don't forget Paul had bombed in Athens when he spoke. He talked in the Areopagus and was greatly philosophical and all that sort of thing. But it, it bombed. Then he went to Corinth, which was a bad neighborhood. Corinth, the, the, um, it was a phrase in the ancient world to play the Corinthian, which meant to be immoral. Uh, because Corinth was a seaport town and it had the, a temple to the goddess Aphrodite, with the most beautiful girls in the world functioning as temple priestesses, and we don't need to go into that. What that means on a family show, um, <clears> that Paul loved those people. You can actually go to Corinth today and see the tribunal where Paul was arraigned. It's still there, uh, the the floor on which Paul stood, being arraigned by the the, the synagogue officials. Uh, um, of, of the of the, that community so uh it's it's it just is about the love he had for these people well let's let's quickly go to the gospel um i don't think i have the time to go into the our father greatly but i do want to clear something up matthew 6 7 uh, <clears throat> to the 15th chapter is the gospel and Jesus said to his disciples in praying, do not babble like the pagans who think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. Oh, I'm going to have to spend some time on this. First of all, uh, maybe you've heard me say all these things. I say these things again because I need to hear them. People accuse Catholics of babbling on. We say the rosary, and we have litanies and we have all these these long prayers. Don't forget that the Psalms do that. For his great love is without end. For his great love is without end. For his great love is without end. Aren't they babbling on, aren't they? Isn't that kind of a litany? No, it's not. I believe this refers to a specific practice. You can find this in the in the uh, Acts of the Apostles, when they burned the, the magic books and amulets in, Corinth, in Ephesus. Paul's preaching was so effective, Ephesus was a, a religious center, and uh, for religion, read practical voodoo. Uh, the ancients believed that if you, had, if you could say the name of a, a bigger demon than the demon that was possessing your client, the, the smaller demon would get scared and leave. It was a method of exorcism. And they would have these long lists of, of names, some of which were nonsense, just in case they, they hit on the secret name of a, a demon that would scare the little demon. And really stupid. And it's a don't do this at home. It it's, it's doesn't work and it can be dangerous. So that's how they babbled on. <clears throat> He's talking about the ancient practice of exorcism. Uh, Don't be like them. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. Well, then why ask? Isn't God going to do it anyway? No, that's the point of this. God is not going to do what he wants unless we ask him. God is not going to do what he wants unless we ask him. Some people say pagans pray to get the gods to do what they want. Christians, we pray so that we'll do what God wants. That's not true either, I don't think. Uh, no, again, where's the salt shaker? Take it with a grain of salt. That, <clears throat> Of course we ask God for things, and he's generous if it's appropriate for our salvation. But what we really do in prayer is give God permission to do what he wants. That's thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Isn't his will going to be done anyway? No, it's not. In, in the general sweep of history, yes, but in my life, I can resist God. When I pray, I'm saying, God, this is what I'd like, A, B, C, and D, but if you got a better plan, you got my permission to do what you want in my life, to do the better thing. I trust you. We pray so that God will do his will because God will not do his will in our life without our permission and our collaboration. His will is grace, but we have to assent to grace. You know, that hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Now I have a very strange idea about what the phrase, thy will be done means, or thy kingdom come. As you've heard, I have the strangest interpretation of the kingdom. And I constantly point out that the kingdom is God's nature. The basilea, the royal nature, that's what the word means. A basileus is a king, basilea is kingliness. The kingliness of heaven, the kingliness of God. May thy kingliness come. May your example of royalty come. What do we have with royalty? We roll up the red carpet, get the press, wear a lot of glitter, have these... Uh, interviews and puff pieces on television, uh, Prince Yada Yada is coming to visit. That's all nonsense. That's the kingdom of this world. That's the royal nature of this world. We think that these unemployed, uh, uh, overbred uh, uh, dilettantes are important. We love royalty in this country. We have no royalty, so we create royalty. And our royalty mostly lives in Hollywood. Uh, we thirst for this example of, of what we would like to be, people who are considered perfect and wonderful and don't have to work a day in their life and have more money than they know what to do with. That's, that's royalty as far as we're concerned. No, 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 no. Again, forgive me. I repeat myself constantly. Jesus said, I will not drink the fruit of the vine with you until I drink it new in the kingdom. That was at the Last Supper. When did he drink the fruit of the vine again? On the cross. The cross is the kingdom of God. His crown is made of thorns. His scepter was, was a reed with which they beat him. That's royalty. So that's what we're saying is, can we perceive, can we uh, reverence what is truly royal? And you know, here's, a, here's a, another sidebar. Um, <clears throat> the Roman emperors were not royalty. They were more than royalty. A crowned king could not enter the Pomerium. The Pomerium was the sacred boundary of downtown Rome. It was the, it was the essential uh, ancient city of Rome. And a king who was crowned and anointed could not enter. Uh, a, a prince could enter, but a crowned king could not because Romans, the poorest Roman citizen, considered himself superior to a king. Uh, that the that, that and the Roman emperor was the ultimate citizen he was the princeps he was the first citizen so uh, uh, the 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 emperor was 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 super royalty <laughs> and and that's what that's kind of what we want thy kingdom come uh is saying well the emperor let's get back to the emperor when jesus was challenged by uh, the judeans uh, is it legal to pay taxes to caesar show me the coin of tribute when they pulled out the coin he had him because what was a good orthodox jew doing carrying the image of a roman god around in his pocket the emperor be considered divine uh, or to be divinized and on the flip side of the coin was usually the goddess Roma or some ancient Roman god. So uh, um, what's a good Orthodox Jew doing carrying an idol around? But he looked at the coin, and he, he said, who to whom does this belong? This belongs to Caesar. Then render to Caesar what is Caesar's, render to God what is God's. What is the coinage of God? What bears the image of God? In his own image he made them male and female. You follow? Every human being you meet is the coinage of God because he made them in his own image, male and female, he made them. Thus, the way you treat people, rich or poor, is how you are reverencing the real royalty of God. To treat a person who is poor with dignity is to genuinely say, thy kingdom come. May I look at this person with reverence and with courtesy and with respect because this person is made in the royal image. Oh, they're nobody. They're not important. There's, there's a big movie star over there. Let's go there. Um, I remember uh, once I've told the story a number of times and I don't need to go into it again, that Cardinal Francis George came to our soup kitchen on the condition that there were no cameras there. He simply wanted to have dinner with our guests, the poor, Of Chicago. He didn't want it to be a photo op. He didn't want people to know about it. He was not the royalty. They were. Thy kingdom come. That's what I'm praying for. Change my idea of what royalty is. All right, that said, let's go to a break. Our sponsor, the University of Dallas, invites you to check out The Quest, a five-episode video series on discovering our purpose and living it with courage. Start watching The Quest for free at RelevantRadio.com quest. I know King Jesus is my friend. Yes, he saved my soul from sin. I'm so happy my Savior took me in. Hey, Jesus, the only real king in the world forget all those overbred overpaid under undereducated Royals okay moving along it always amazes me how Americans love royalty we're the first revolutionary republic oh well meh all right let's let's uh, let's go oh, by the way today is a letter show I'm not gonna take calls I'm sorry uh, that, that catching up on letters and doing stuff. And so, you know, I got, I got a gazillion letters. All right. Let us then go to letters. All right. Now I, I think I mentioned at some point, I do include in letters, people who call in and can't stay on the line. This is from, um, uh, Vera from Blair, Wisconsin. And what is meant by the son of man in 935, uh, um, in John 935, it refers to Daniel. Um, I think that's the seventh chapter. The son of man is a celestial being who comes from the throne of God. And you can find that referred to in uh, um, in the book of Daniel. Let me find it. Uh, uh, Hebrew Bible, Daniel 7, 13 to 14. This is Jesus' favorite name for himself in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He is the son of man. And it's fascinating. The devil never, as far as I can tell, the devil never calls Jesus son of man. He calls him son of God, but he never calls him son of man. And if God will mind his own business and stay in heaven, the devil's fine with that. But when he leaves the heavenly throne and comes down to earth, well, that gets in the devil's way. So son of man, is a claim of divinity on the part of Jesus, not a claim of humanity, in John nine thirty-five. Okay. Let's see here. Okay, um, uh, the let me click this button, and that will take me to the next thing here. Okay. Uh, regarding this is Joe from Illinois. Regarding the three temptations of Christ, do those relate to the three gifts from the magi? Since they were poor, besides those three gifts, was food given as well, and did they share a meal? We have no. It would be amazing in the hospitality of the ancient world if there was not food involved. Uh, but uh, we have no historical or biblical evidence that there was a meal. But that's very interesting. Three temptations of Christ: gold, frankincense, and myrrh. That that. Um, uh, what were the three temptations of Christ? Uh, that that uh, temptation to uh, to food in a time of fasting, temptation to um, uh, uh, worldly power, and temptation to to spiritual power. Uh, I I have to really give it some thought about what frankincense, gold, frankincense, and myrrh meant. The traditional interpretation is gold was a gift for a king frankincense, a gift for a god, and myrrh, a gift for a mortal man who's going to die because it was used as an embalming spice. What an embalming spice, yeah, something to kill the smell of the dead body. Uh, So that's the traditional thing. But maybe I can, uh, you know, I I don't see the, the, the the number three in itself, though, um, is significant uh, for Jews is in third time the charm I think I've shared this many times if you go to the synagogue and you sit in the same place three Sabbaths in a row that becomes your seat somebody sitting there when you come in you look at them and they move because they know it's your seat uh, from your look Uh, three we the uh, um, uh, that's why uh, he Jesus was in the tomb three days uh, parts of three days because when something was three it was for sure it was a done deal that's why we say holy 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 or lamb of god lamb of god lamb of god we used to say lord i'm not worthy three times when you do something three in hebrew thought it's that's that's it so the three the the three temptations of christ and the three gifts of the magi uh, what they have in common is three i don't know that they have um um I, I can't see how gold would relate to to um, uh, um, one of the temptations maybe kingly power um, frankincense well I mean in a way they they maybe do Frankincense uh, is supernatural power and well myrrh is about the powerlessness we face uh, in front of death so yeah uh, that might have to do with, with bread. As long as you eat, you don't die. I, I don't know. It's, I'm stretching it there. But it's an interesting question. So thanks, Joe. It's one I'm going to have to ponder. <clears throat> okay. Um, this is Joe from Illinois. Uh, is there an account where St. Joseph or Mary had any temptations as well? Well, Joseph uh, certainly... I think we can say would have been tempted with remember the word tempt and test is the same exact word in Greek. And uh, Joseph showed who he was, that he was a righteous man because he did not want to put the blessed mother to shame. And uh, Simeon said prophetically to our blessed mother, uh, a sword will pierce your heart to reveal uh, uh, the thoughts of many hearts. Um, that, that Mary herself in a sense was to become a test for, for people. And I think she is, you know, if you don't love the blessed mother, you don't end up loving the church. Uh, I really believe that she is the icon of the church. Uh, and, uh, if, if you can't stand the blessed mother, well, you can't stand the church because she's the icon of the church. The church is, is bride and mother. So <clears throat> in that sense, in the sense of testing, yeah, um, those two accounts are in the Bible, but that's as close as I can get, Joe. So, good question, though. Thanks. Let's see here. This is, um, uh, whose house was the Passover, Last Supper? Where did it take place? Well, the tradition is, from the early days of the church, that it took place in the house of the mother of John Mark. Uh this is the mother of Mark. She was a woman of some means and it was in a nice part of town, not too far from the high priest's house. Uh, so um, that's apparently where it took place. So uh, that's, uh, that's the tradition uh, that comes to us from the early church. Okay. Now let's see here. Um, now this is kind of interesting. This is from uh, Mr. John L. in Chicago, was Mary destined from the beginning of creation to be the Theotokos? I ask this because something is bothering me. The church believes that Mary was immaculately conceived in preparation for her to be the mother of Jesus. But did Mary have free will to refuse the angel Gabriel's request? What if Mary said no? Would God then have had to let another woman become immaculately conceived in order to be the mother of Jesus? After much research, I'm leaning toward the Eastern Orthodox belief that Mary was not immaculately conceived, but became purified at the moment that she agreed to the angel's request. You know, the Theotokos, that means the God-bearer. Was she destined to this? You know, we all have a destiny. None of us have a fate. And i like to point out, Mary is the, the one of three people in the Bible immaculately conceived. Adam and Eve were conceived without the results of original sin, albeit conceived in the mind of God. Uh, Our Lord Jesus was, of course, conceived without the effects of original sin. And he inherited from his mother the humanity of of, um, uh, full humanity, but it was the humanity of Adam and Eve before the fall. So that said, when you're dealing with, with God, You can't really use before and after. Those are, uh, again, one of my favorite sayings. For God, all places are here, all times are now. God did not fate Mary to be perfect. She could have said no, but she didn't. God didn't have to anticipate that. God doesn't think. He knows. God doesn't have to think. He knows. And thus... He, beholding all of human history as one moment, he, he made the, off, the offer of Immaculate Conception to Adam. He made, the offer, author, he made the offer of Immaculate Conception to Eve. They both said no. Third time's the charm. The third person in human history to whom he made the offer of Immaculate Conception was Mary, and she accepted it. You know, so in a sense, our Blessed Mother... I, I don't know if I want to say this, but she was she was the Lord's fallback position in a sense. He knew that Adam and Eve were not going to say yes to their immaculate conception and that he would have to send a savior. And he knew that this virgin princess of the royal house of David would say yes. So he had a more perfect plan uh, than Adam and Eve could conceive. So when you're dealing with Adam and Eve, uh or when you're dealing with God, you can't say before and after did he know before no, he didn't know before he knew- he knows he didn't know he knows uh, I hope that helps um there we go, all right. Dear Father Simon, how can you say that a person can attend the reception for a second wedding even though he would not attend the church service? Attendance at a wedding reception signals acceptance of the marriage. Should Thomas More have gone to Henry VIII's wedding reception even though he skipped the church service? Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me, I will be ashamed of you. We cannot be ashamed of our Catholic beliefs even if it costs us something. It is no wonder that many Catholics today do not realize that divorce and remarriage is a sin. It is because no one ever tells them that it is, either by word or deed sincerely mary from milwaukee mary if you listen carefully to what i said i said that you must make before you have anything to do with the reception you must make your position known thomas More did not make his position known because it would have cost him his head until he was convicted he did not make his uh, position known Uh, and i say carefully you must not acknowledge this as a wedding. If this is a family event and this is the only way to, to you know, you don't want to slam the door shut on these people. You want them to be saved. And so often, remember that the scripture also says that human anger does not work the righteousness of God, that I can get all huffy about this and I can dig in my heels and I'm not doing any good for people. The question is, uh, to love is to will the good of someone is g- going to the reception after you have said, I don't I, I can't go along with the marriage. I'm coming to the reception because I love you. And you give them a Bible or a beautiful picture of the Blessed Mother or a beautiful crucifix to remind them of God in their home. And that way you keep the door open Um <clears throat> Having made your position known that you don't approve, uh, that you don't agree with the wedding, you don't regard this as a wedding, you don't wrap the gift in wedding paper, you don't have a wedding card, uh, and you've made your position clear. Uh, To me, that that is is the great difference. Uh, It's saying, I don't agree with you, I don't support you in this, I love you and will not stop talking to you. Um, I think that it is a great shock to young people uh, to to hear that, you mean divorce is, is a sin? Or divorce and remarriage, rather, is a sin? Uh, they are so badly educated. Um, no, you've you got to make your position clear, and you can't be ashamed. You're right. You can't be ashamed of, of Christ. But on the other hand, uh, to say to the sinner, uh, you know, that Jesus, Jesus uh, consorted with a woman who'd been married five times, And uh, the husband she had now was not uh, was not hers. And in the story of the Samaritan woman, Jesus accepted her hospitality uh, and asked her for her help. He didn't shut the door closed, but he was very clear about the one you have now is not yours. So uh, I I, I, it's a fine line to walk. But, you know, what what good are you going to do? Will your not going, bring a person closer to Christ. I think not going to the the wedding and making it clear why not reminds them that Christ is involved in this. Whereas going briefly, and I would go briefly, I wouldn't, even, and I would not dance. Do not dance at a, at a, a second wedding reception. I would say, do not even have a glass of wine. Don't toast it. If there's a toast, don't toast it. You are there simply, to to express your love for this person who has fallen into sin you know don't don't dance <laughs> don't 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 raise a glass in, in a toast uh, um, that's I mean what why are you going or why are you not going that's the question all right then. So it's it's hard to walk any kind of middle ground. All right, we're going to go to a break. We'll come back with a swell word of the day, and we'll have a few more letters. Our sponsor, the University of Dallas, invites you to check out The Quest, a five-episode video series on discovering our purpose and living it with courage. Start watching The Quest for free at relevantradio.com slash quest. welcome we're keep on keeping on <laughs> despite evidence to the contrary okay let's let's go to our word of the day i noticed this word cuz it's it's a vivid word did i make a mistake when i humbled myself so that you might be exalted because i preached the gospel of god to you without charge isn't that interesting they were they were there was even that, what are we going to give the preacher? Eh, give him 50 bucks. Eh, 50 bucks. Okay. <laughs> oh, dear. I plundered other churches by accepting from them in order to minister to you. And, uh, you know, uh, it's just as, a, as someone who has lived many years in the business of religion, it's fascinating to me to read between the lines here. But I plundered other churches. The word of the day is plunder. That I thought that was fascinating. Let me see. Uh, where was it? Um, I I got so much up on my ah. No, that's hipper. This is ah. Nehezed. No, that's that's I I. You know, I got so much going on here, that I I kind of forgot where ah. Here it is. No, that's jealousy. You know I've got so much going on here. Well, the word plunder, is as far as I can tell, really means plunder. Uh, um. That that it's it it's a very vivid word which I which of course I pulled up, and now have lost where I put it. Okay, we'll get it, we'll get it. Okay, let me let me put that in again. Okay. Okay, I'm putting it in. No, 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 that's super apostles. I really did look it up. Now I've lost it. You know, me and computers. I just I don't get along with them very Something well. Something horrible has happened. No, not that horrible. It'll just take a second, you know. That's Ned Flanders. What, what, what? Which, which uh, episode of The Simpsons is that in? This is the worst day know. of my life. It's the worst no, day of your not, life uh, so far. <laughs> That's funny. You know, I shouldn't even mention The Simpsons. It's a funny. It's, it's, it's. Uh, it's not always the most moral show, so I. I can't really recommend it. Uh, I remember a mother came to me. I I'd quoted The Simpsons in, in a sermon, believe it or not, and I know you find that hard to believe, but uh, I uh, this woman came in with her son who asked the question, who's a homeschool kid, if we're not allowed to watch The Simpsons, how come you just you, you just mentioned the Simpsons? Well, I said because there's some things that adults can watch that children shouldn't, and that's true. I've made a and, huge uh, mistake. Yes. Well, no, it wasn't. That that was the right thing to say. The mother smiled and continued coming to the parish. All right, here we go. It's it's it can mean rob, but it really does mean to plunder. It it's 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 a it's, uh, it's to take spoils of war. It's the right of seizure. Uh, this is, we don't think of this. Uh, in elections in the 19th century, they would say to the victor go the spoils. In other words, if you won the election, the government was yours and you could pass it out to your friends and family. And that was legal and acceptable then. Well, that's the idea. The, the, the word is sulau, and It literally means to strip and take spoils of war. So it's a very vivid term, and and it's well translated here. I plundered other churches. So I I thought that was interesting. All right, well, let's go back to, uh, I think a lot of things are interesting. Let's go back to letters. All right, this is from Michael in San Diego. Can you explain... How we have such significant differences in Bible translations, which were derived from geographic regions, and how the Catholic Church uses ones which were further from the origins of Christianity—that's um, simply not true. That that the the uh, the Codex Vaticanus is is a very good uh, text, and uh, I don't know where you're coming from, Michael. that, that you really. Uh, um, think that the, the text we're using is accurate. Translations change constantly because words change constantly. English is an amazingly fluid language and something most people don't realize about English I believe this is true. It is the most vocabulary rich language in the world. So you've got five words for everything chalice, um, cup, drinking vessel which one is it? Well, chalice. <clears throat> Why did you pick that word? Well, because it's in. I, I don't know. That's the word I picked. A uh, door, portal, entry. Why did you pick portal? It uh, sounds better. I remember a woman not long ago talked about the difference between. She liked the older and more traditional version. Hail Mary, full of grace, Lord is with thee, blessed art thou amongst women. It was more elegant, it was more traditional. No, amongst is a newer word than among, and we've simply gone back to among. <laughs> I thought that was kind of interesting. English changes constantly because it has so many words, and it has the habit of making verbs out of nouns and nouns out of verbs. Uh, so uh, the translation problem is is one thing. Uh, but the the I know no translator who doesn't translate by his own prejudice, including me. Um, there are some that are better than others. <clears throat> But the trick is to find out what that word meant to the contemporaries uh, that um, uh, this is this is a big deal. Uh, So I I don't know if if that helps at all. Um, um, The um, the written record, the originals are unchanged. We never monkey with this. Uh, The Translations change, but the the originals do not. So. At any rate, Michael, I hope that helps. Translation is always a problem in any, any uh, situation. Okay. All right. Um, let's see here. This is uh, this is somebody, uh, Terrence, sent me a letter um, in Snail Mill. My concern about today's spoken written language is chiefly about faith, seeking understanding in the modern world. Uh, the r- the ratio of my daily learning to uh, to that of attempts to share that, which I think I know I should be at least 10-1. I, uh, I hope I didn't come across. It, let me tell you about when people send me actual snail mail letters, I get them much later, and I respond to them much more slowly. I, I do get a lot of letters, and I, I simply can't respond to all of them. Uh, uh, so... You know that that's that's a problem. So I'm not sure that I got your letter, Terence. Again, if you have a question, the best way to do it, uh, and eventually I do get to it, is is the website uh, at Relevant Radio. Okay. All righty then. Okay. Oh well, there's. <laughs> I was wrong. I think it was an email letter. Um, oh no, it was a snail mail letter. Okay. Um, let's see, let's see here, okay, let me uh, go to this letter. Why do priests pour such a tiny drop of water into the chalice, but they poured the wine before the, cons- and they pour the wine for the consecration because they don't want to dilute the precious blood? They've been all, they've been trained that way. In the ancient world, wine was always mixed with water. I believe that the, in the scriptures it says, "He who drinks wine unwatered is a glutton." Uh, they don't say a drunkard, a glutton. Um, <clears throat> that uh, the Greeks would have a drinking when they had a drinking party. Uh, they would. There was someone who was called the master of the revels, and uh, 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 the drinking party was a symposium. That's what they called it—a drinking together. They would get together and they would drink. But they drank very diluted wine. You didn't really add water to wine; you added wine to water because the water was pretty undrinkable. Um, The the master of the revels at a drinking party would would uh, one of his jobs was to choose the ratio of wine to water. If they were going to have a wild evening, there would be much less water than wine. That was the custom. And we retained the custom, and we applied a spiritual meaning to it. Now, of course, we don't drink diluted wine. Um, I don't know when or why that changed. Uh, probably with the as the quality of water got worse when the when the aqueducts all collapsed in Rome. Who knows? But um, we we still add a little bit of water to the wine to symbolize, and and we assign the symbolism to it of of our humanity is is in a sense poured into the divinity of Christ. And once you pour the wine in the water, you can't separate it. I suppose you could boil it out, but you can't separate it. Uh, so it's about the marriage of humanity and divinity in the church and in Christ, our humanity being bound up in his humanity with his divinity. And, and that's why we put water in wine. We reflect an ancient custom and we have assigned to it a symbolism. Why just a tiny drop? Because there is a if 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 the water the, if you have wine that's diluted with more than fifty percent water, it no longer is wine. And the val, the 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 valid element of consecration is bread unleavened wheat bread and or well bread. in the Eastern Church they have used leavening, but bread made of wheat and water and wine made of grapes. That's it. Uh, and, and so we don't want to overwater the wine. That's why we just pour a little bit in. You could pour more, but we don't because we don't want to overwater it. Uh, so I, I hope that answers your question. Let's see. Um, let's see. Okay. Let's see. Yeah. And, and, uh, I don't know, um, that we learn it in seminary. We, you know, when I was a lad, we, much of our seminary training was being apprenticed, to. Uh, old pastors we'd be sent to a parish and i remember one of my i was apprenticed to father kazimir shatkovsky and he was a tough old polish guy and he was great he taught me a great deal about how to be a priest and i will always be grateful for his memory but speaking of grateful for the memory drew is coming up (laughs) you don't have to remember him he's right here